Jasmine and Beauty Podcast starts right now. Asmin and Butik Show, Jake Asmin alongside Dan Butik. You just heard it. Brand new open. Thank you to our good friends over at Fiverr.com for helping us out with that. Brand new open. Same old Jets. Doesn't really matter who the head coach is. Doesn't really matter who the quarterback is. We talked a lot about this last week. We talked a lot about it the previous week. But the Jets are now 1-3, Dan. And that's really what we'll begin our show tonight. As always, we're on VICradio.org. Our show will be podcasted on ICTV.org and on iTunes later this week. And the number to call is 607-274-1842. I've already been told by a bunch of our listeners who are Jet fans, they will be calling in. But that's where we start, Dan, because obviously when you look at this Jets game today, there's not a whole lot of positivity to talk about. It was ugly from the beginning. The Jets probably should have lost by a lot more than what the box score indicated. They were absolutely decimated by the Seattle Seahawks on both sides of the football. And now at 1-3, and three, with Pittsburgh coming up and Arizona coming up on the road back-to-back weeks, we said how important this game was a week ago, and now it's a reality. The Jets are 1-3, and three, and their season, I could say, it, is on the line next week against the Steelers. What a terrible, terrible performance in front of your home fans earlier today at MetLife Stadium. First off, Jake, good to be in the air, back on VIC Radio. New open, phenomenal. The guys at Fiverr.com did a there. great job. Vince Scully call of uh, Kirk Gibson's home run in the 1988 World Series. And we'll Excellent. talk about Vin later on in the of show. Of course, and it's only uh, fitting that we have a Vin Scully call uh, in that open. But you said it, Jake, just a horrible performance by the New York Jets today at home at MetLife Stadium against a very formidable opponent in the Seattle Seahawks. And we said last week that this is a game if the Jets are serious about being a playoff team and playing deep into December and into January with relevance To their season, they needed to find a way to win against Kansas City. They did not. They needed to find a way to win today against the Seattle Seahawks, and they did not. And again, you can look at Ryan Fitzpatrick and the interceptions he threw. I'm not saying he played a good game. I'm not saying the Jets' offense offense played particularly well. But I'll tell you what, the defensive secondary today for the New York Jets was pitiful. They could not stop a nosebleed. Every time it got to third down, you knew Seattle was going to convert. And over the middle, they got killed once again by a tight end. It was Travis Kelsey last week for the Kansas City Chiefs. And this week, it was Jimmy Graham. The Jets had no answer for pass for the dink and dunking passes over the middle of the field. Graham made some great plays, not taking anything away from him, but the Jets' secondary was just awful today, and it cost them a football game because the Jets could not get off the field on third down. It was brutal, and the Jets played the number one defense in the NFL, so you knew points were going to be tough to score to to begin with. The offense, we'll get to them in a second, but this really, to me, starts with the defense, and it starts with this head coach. This head coach is a former safety. This head coach is a former defensive coordinator. This head coach never makes any defensive adjustments, and it's not early anymore with Todd Bowles. This has been going on since last year, and I know everyone can point to, well, the Jets won 10 games last year, and I'm a big proponent of this team. This team on paper should be a lot better than 1-3. There are a lot of 1-3 teams in the NFL right now that are a lot better than the record indicates, but you know what? 
No one feels sorry for you in the league. No one feels sorry for you. Every team has injuries, and the Jets knew what they had in their schedule coming up, and they allowed themselves to get off to this just god-awful, terrible start. And now what they are in is must-win games going forward. And the problem with this Jets team, and you hit it right on, you hit the nail right on the head there, Dan. This secondary, and I don't want to just talk about Darrell Revis because Darrell Revis was not the problem today. He had it was a pretty everyone good, else. He had a pretty good football game. Guys like Calvin Pryor has have certainly regressed. He was terrible today. He's falling asleep on a touchdown. He slips. Guys are wide open over the field. This is a Jets team that can't afford to make mental mistakes. And we keep hearing how good this defense is. Well, you know what? The Jets defense could have showed up today, and they didn't. It was embarrassing, and I'm tired of the same old BS with this Jets team where you have the mental mistakes in the secondary, and no one can explain why. This head coach is a defensive-minded head coach. The adjustments have to be made, and so many times, We've seen it. The Jets need some second-half adjustments, which is the ultimate sign of a well-coached team, and they never do it. It goes all the way back to the Week 17 game against the Bills last year. No adjustments have ever been made. The Jets have never been able to stop a tight end. This is a Rex problem, a Mangini problem. The list goes on and on. Whoever the head coach is, it's been disgraceful. And week after week, i got to sit here and try and rip this team. You know what? I'm getting very tired of ripping this team because you know what happens next? Irrelevance. You become irrelevant. And, and they're on, on the cusp way. right and, now. Absolutely, Jake. And they're on their way to being irrelevant and being just a team going through the motions in the second half of the season. They're one and three now. They have the Steelers coming up. Then they have uh, then they have Arizona. And I know Arizona's gotten off to a tough start, but they're still a really good football team. And that game's on the road in prime. You time. got a couple of games on the road here. They're going to Pittsburgh. You know what? This is make or break for the New York Jets season. They have to find a way to win this week against the Steelers if they want if they want to be a serious playoff contender, like their expectations were coming into this season. And you said it. We talked about it every week for the last three weeks, four weeks, even before that. The tough schedule the Jets have in the first six week of the, weeks of the season. It was essential for them to beat the Bills. They did it. They needed to win against Kansas City and find a way to maybe win against Seattle. Well, they laid an egg against Kansas City. And, of course, today, just an awful performance by the defense, and especially in the secondary. You mentioned Calvin Pryor was dreadful. Darren Lee, I understand he's a rookie, but he did not look good today either. He, he had a bad game. Marcus Williams had a bad Everyone game. Everyone in the Jets secondary had a bad so game. It was so bad. It was awful. So bad. David Harris looks so slow out there. And he you want to know You want to know what I, I think about this Jets defense? You know what the mark of a soft defense is? And that's what the Jets are. They are soft. They're good up front, and then that's it. And teams, they know the Jets have a really good defensive line. They game plan. They throw wide receiver screens. They dink and dunk on the Jets and then throw to the tight end and magically he's open for 40 yards downfield. Jimmy Graham today was unstoppable and it was embarrassing. I know he's a good player, but the Jets made no adjustments and that falls on coaching. He's averaging almost 20 yards a pop every time he touched the football. Teams routinely throw wide receiver screens because the Jets cornerbacks are lazy getting off blocks and their safeties can't tackle. Calvin Pryor today is too obsessed with the big hit to actually fundamentally wrap somebody up. This team has so many mental gaffes and this is a head coach that is a former safety and is supposed to be a defensive-minded head coach. How is this Jets defense, which we were all told by everyone could be an elite defense, how are they so bad? How are they this bad at home against a team that in Seattle that had to travel cross-country? Well, Jake, you just said it. The fact of the matter is they don't tackle well in the secondary. And that was supposed to be something they do real well. 
uh, with Darrell Revis and a lot of the guys they have in their defensive secondary, but they haven't. And quite frankly, Buster Screen hasn't played well either through the first month of the season. No, and he got hurt. Revis hurt his hamstring. This team is in bad shape right now. No, they are. They're in really bad shape. But again, there's no excuse for Calvin Pryor missing tackles and Darren Lee missing tackles. And David Harris, I love David Harris, but the guy cannot cover a tight end. And I thought we established this three years ago, (laughs) that David Harris couldn't. Like this, I could have told you this in 2011 that David Harris couldn't go out a tight end. The the Jets could never cover a tight end. This is not a new problem. When they lost 45-3 to to the New England Patriots and Rob Gronkowski tore them up. And Aaron Hernandez. And Aaron Hernandez. And we don't want to get into Aaron Hernandez, but Aaron Hernandez tore him up that day. It's just, it's, it's you, you kind of just got to laugh at this point. I mean, I am as frustrated. I'm as big as a Jeff fan. So are you as anyone. It was, this but is, it's, this it's was so disgrace. typical. It's it just, was typical. And you know what? To not even show up. It was just a brutal performance. And all I heard coming into the week, Russell Wilson isn't healthy. The Jets got to get to Russell Wilson. Well, he's 23 of 32 for 309 yards and three touchdowns. Imagine he, if he had two legs. My he God. He fine on his feet. The Jets couldn't. They just couldn't get to him enough to make him uncomfortable in the pocket. He had too much time to move and make plays on his feet, and that's when Russell Wilson is lethal, when he's able to get out of the pocket and make moves. He is, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league throwing on the run, and he did that today. He did an excellent job, and Jimmy Graham, six catches, 113 yards. You can't let that happen. No, he lit up and, this and, Jets and defense. He, and he was the di- that was the difference in the Jets winning this game and losing. Uh, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, I understand the offense has a lot of problems, but I thought the issues today for the New York Jets were much, much further and much deeper than just saying the offense didn't play well. The defense really just laid an egg and didn't put in the offense in a good position to come back and win this game. No, and then you get to the offense because the defense didn't play well, but let's get let's be honest, folks. Ryan Fitzpatrick's got to play better. This offense has got to play better. Today, they couldn't run the ball. Matt Forte, 14 carries, only 27 yards. His longest run of the day was five yards. That's not going to get it done against anyone. And I understand that Seattle has arguably the best defense in the National Football League. But you know what? The Jets should have a pretty good defense, too. Russell Wilson, you said his stat line. He's doing this on one leg. Then you go over to the Jets' offense, and Fitzpatrick today, he threw three picks. Two of them were his fault. I'm not going to talk about the one that the immortal Robbie Anderson couldn't hold on. Hit him right in the hands. Popped up. Hey, can we talk about Easy Robbie pick. Anderson for a second? I understand the Jets are enamored with him because he's really fast and he could, and he beat Richard Sherman on a, a straight route. But you know what? That guy's got awful hands. He's he, awful. he dropped multiple balls. He today. dropped three passes today that hit him right in the hands. And I understand he's very fast. Todd Bowles, I get it. He's on the team because he's very fast. But the man can't catch and secure the football. It happened three times today. You cannot roll a receiver out there who's going to be a top target. Dropping footballs. It was brutal. And that goes back to not having Eric Decker, which is really huge for this It's, it's a bad injury, but at the same time, Brandon Marshall and Ryan Fitzpatrick today, why aren't they on the same page? How, how is this the same receiver and quarterback tandem and that this, were able to score 14 times together last this, year? And I, It's a question that I think about much through the last couple of weeks and obviously after today's game. Do you think it has anything to do with Fitzpatrick not arriving to camp late because of the signing? You know, normally I would say no, but when you won I, I three, know, I don't know. all suggestions are on the table. I don't know. They were so good last year, and it was literally like last year at times they were it was like one mind they were on the same page they knew it they, they knew each other so well on the field the chemistry between them the mind of Fitzpatrick the mind of Fitzpatrick I mean the chemistry between them a year ago was so spot on fast forward to a year later it's so off I mean one of the interceptions I don't know if it was Richard Sherman I'm not 100% sure don't quote me on that but one of the interceptions it was supposed. It looked like Fitz thought it was an inside pass. Threw it. It was intercepted, and 
Brandon Marshall didn't even turn his head. Yeah, it's, it's, that was the Sherman pick. It was Sherman. Yeah, it, it was, it was Sherman. brutal. And you know what the thing is, too, at Fitzpatrick? People could kill him. We knew he wasn't a great quarterback, but we should understand that that is good enough to still win if he's not a Hall of Fame quarterback. He needed to be able to manage this game, and this defense was supposed to be able to carry this team. The Jets were built up front for their defense. And you know what? Is Fitzpatrick not as good as he played last year? Maybe. But you know what this just shows me? It just shows me that the bottom line is what Ryan Fitzpatrick is. He's an average quarterback, and we knew this. But when he's going up against the number one defense in the NFL, I expected the Jets' defense at home to play a lot better. And that's where the issue really lies with today's game. It is, but Fitzpatrick's also got to play better. Absolutely. He's got to take better care of the ball. And too many times, too many times, guys are open on the Jets, and he's under-throwing his targets. They could be touchdowns if he leads his receivers a little bit more. Instead, they're big gains, but they're not as big as they should be. And his timing with Brandon Marshall's off, not having Eric Decker has been a killer. And what teams are doing to the Jets is pretty obvious. They're going to take away the Jets' running game and say, Fitzpatrick, you go out and beat us while he's thrown nine interceptions now the past two games. The Jets are in dire straits. I don't know how much longer they're going to stick with Fitzpatrick if they keep losing, but the thing is with this team, I don't even want to hear about Geno Smith because the minute they go to Geno Smith, the season's officially over. Would you agree with that? And that's, I think, why, and I think Todd Bowles and Mike McCagan know that, and I think that's why they haven't gone to Geno because I think they know, and they know Geno Smith better than we do. They watch him every day at practice. I think they know he's not an NFL quarterback. But you're right, Jake. The second they go to Geno Smith, I think the season's over. But as we go to week four, week five, week six, week six and Ryan Fitzpatrick continues to struggle and not be able to, 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 to efficiently run this Jets offense— do you make the move and go to Geno Smith? You don't have a choice. Todd Bowles might not have a choice in two weeks. You don't have a choice. If this continues, Todd Bowles may not have a choice. And it's just very disappointing because, listen, did we think the Jets were going to be a Super Bowl team this year? No way. I didn't think the Jets were going to be a Super Bowl team at all. But did I expect them at four weeks into the season and Ryan Fitzpatrick at this point to play a lot better than this? I think we both did. They should not be one of three. Not at all. I mean, the Jets have lost games. Today, they were never really in the game. I never really got that feeling. They were close, but Seattle was just so much better. And they better. were really never in the game last week, either because no, of the turnover. But like that's the thing. It's like last week you hold Kansas City to 10 points, and we know how good Kansas City is. They're getting killed by Pittsburgh on Sunday Night Football right now. And the Jets were right there last week and should have won that game if they just got a mediocre quarterback play they win that game. The Bengals game was deplorable. They lose because of a missed extra point in the blocked field goal. But these are all games. In the NFL, You we say this every week, your margin for error in this league is so slim that you got to take advantage when you have these games. And now you're sitting at 1-3 and three and your season's on the line on the road in Pittsburgh, which has been a horror show for the Jets for most of this franchise's history. The Jets have one great win there back in 2010 and then they lost in the AFC Championship game later that year. Pittsburgh and Heinz Field has been no good to the Jets in their franchise's history, and their season is potentially on the line next week, trying to avoid a 1-4 and four start to the year. It's just this game was so frustrating. They're throwing to random guys, uh, being Bowman from the tight end position today. The game plan was out of whack from the beginning, and defensively I am so disappointed with Todd Bowles because I was really thought that this guy was going to clean up. The Jets were so undisciplined again today. Bad penalties, coverage breakdowns, guys not knowing where they're supposed to be. It was terrible. They should, we should be past this now that Rex isn't here, and it's been just as bad with Bowles going on the 2016 season now through five games. I agree, and, and a lot of those issues are... Four games, sorry. A, it's been terrible. A, and a lot of those issues, Jake, that you just mentioned have to do with coaching. And it leads you to look at Todd Bowles and say, what's going on here? Where are the adjustments? And I think that's a great point, and I think that's something that really was 
uh, a big part of the Buffalo Bills game at the end of last season, and it really has trickled into this season, the in-game adjustments. They haven't been there, and they didn't make any in-game adjustments it didn't look like uh, today, and definitely didn't do it last week. And the offense really, just one more point on the offense, final score was 27-17. They really scored 10 points. They got a gift of a touchdown on the fumble recovery the, by Pete One of the, the weirdest touchdown. plays you'll ever see. One say. of the most bizarre plays. Really didn't make a difference, but just that just goes to show you, that's the kind of day it was for the New York Jets all around. Terrible. Just, just an a, Abysmal performance, and now, like we said, they have backed themselves into a corner here going into Pittsburgh next week where they need to win, and that needs to be the stress this week at practice. We have to win. Unflippable, unflappable, unleakable. The Gus Buster is the only umbrella that won't flip inside out, rip, tear, or leak. Capable of withstanding winds over 55 miles per hour. All of our umbrellas are constructed of the finest quality materials and backed by a limited lifetime guarantee. What are you waiting for? Visit GusBuster.com and get your Gus Buster today. You are listening to the Asman and Budic Show on VIC Radio. Tune in radio and podcast it on ICTV.org and iTunes. All right, Connor, what happened in the NFL All today? Right, I'll start with an AFC South matchup across the pond this morning. Jacksonville topped Indy 30-27 to grab their first win of the season in a struggling division right now. Bortles' first game this year without an interception. Andrew Luck, on the other hand, sacked six times. Pattern continues for Indianapolis. And you Jacksonville know what? finally gets a win. And I'll tell you what, I credit Jacksonville for getting a win uh, in London. Good win for them. They needed to get their first win of the season. But is it safe to say the Indianapolis Colts suck? They stink. Uh, they have the same problem. It's the same problem. You, we talked about this morning. It, it, we talked about this morning. It's the same problem year in and year out. And... It's a shame because they they have such a good quarterback now in his fifth what fifth sixth season in Andrew Luck, and they just can't protect him. They, they they haven't done their due diligence putting an offensive line together to really protect this guy and give him a chance to make plays. And the Jaguars have been terrible too, and I give them credit they found a way to win today. But the Colts, if they're serious about being a playoff team, this you is, win this, this game. This has got to be a layup. And the thing with the Colts the past couple of years has been the offensive line, but it's the same thing again this year. And you just said it, Connor. Andrew Luck sacked six more times today. He hasn't been the same quarterback. In a couple years now, going back to even you know two years ago, they were in the AFC Championship game. Last year, he was injured and didn't have a good year. And this year, they're off to another terrible start. Frank Gore today, he did what he could. But this is an older team, a team that doesn't really have a sense of what they're trying to do. They brought back the, the coach last year and Chuck Pagano. They brought back the GM and Ryan Gritson. This is a Colts team. You don't really know what they have. And maybe both those guys shouldn't have been back because this is a, yet another year where third year in a row they started 0-2 and now they're 1-3. and And I've never seen a team start as slow as they do in first and second quarters. It's always the same story. It's Andrew Luck trying to throw for 200 yards in the fourth quarter, climbing back, and him ending up on the ground. Uh, he's it's a great quarterback, a but success. you got to give him some help. He's got no line, and it's and it's and this is three years already uh, working on the fact that they don't have a good offensive line. Who's responsible for that? The general manager? Greason? Scouting a bunch of He should of be fired then. Yeah. I mean, come on. And it, it's going to be these, this issue is going to haunt them the rest of the season. It is, and sticking in the FC South, Houston squeaked out a 27-20 win over Tennessee. Rookie wideout Will Fuller was big time today. Returned a punt for a touchdown in addition to seven grabs, 81 yards, and receiving touchdown. Houston now at three and one. It bothers me that the Texans. Are, I look at the Jets, and it always comes back to the Jets for me because I'm a Jet fan, obviously. But the Texans are not good, and they're three and one. 
That is so frustrating. That's why I just get so angry when I look at this Jets team because they're so much better than some of these teams that are, are what they are record-wise, and it's still a real shame. But the Texans, you got to give them credit. They're 3-1. and one. Osweiler, I guess he had a much better game today than he did against New England when he was just horrible. Yeah, he did statistically anyway, 25-37, 254, and two touchdowns. So he played well today, but... I don't know, man. The Tennessee Titans, they're not very good. We knew this coming in. But neither are the Houston Texans. Yeah, how, good are, the, how good are the Texans, really? I think I think they're probably a playoff team. Their defense is pretty good. They, I mean, they lose J.J. Law for the year. That they kills lo- them. Lots of usual loss, but you look at the rest of that division, they should win that it's division. It's theirs to lose. It's no really question. theirs to lose. Well, the mean, way the Colts are and the Jaguars are, who's better the than the, 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 Colts the, and the, the Jags, Texans? With the Colts and the Jags, both at 1-3, and three, and the issues the Colts have, like we just mentioned, the offensive line, I, I think that division is really out there for the Texans to lose. Yeah, and some AFC teams are probably going to lose. They're probably going to be wanting to play a team like Houston in the first round game, or after you win that wild card. That's probably going to be one of the weaker playoff teams that wins a division in a weak division. Um, and, and you guys talked plenty about the Jets. I'll move over to them quickly. They dropped one at home to Seattle, 27-17. Jimmy Graham bursting back onto the scene a little bit, 100 yards for the second straight week. Seahawks improved to three and one. Jets now one and three with Pittsburgh and Arizona upcoming. And we don't talk a lot about fantasy on the show because no one really cares about your fantasy Except team. Except me. Except, well, I mean, the general rule with me with fantasy sports is you know people play and everyone. Connor wants to, is a big fan. Everyone guy. wants to talk to you about you fantasy. You about other people's teams, You don't really. The, the audience doesn't care. But I will say this very quickly on fantasy football: if you have a tight end going up against the Jets, play them. Play them every week. You just mentioned Jimmy Graham stats. This is a problem that's been going on for as many years as I've been a Jet fan. The Jets, death taxes, and the Jets never stopping a tight end. That's ever, true. Ever. It's been the history of this franchise. Two other AFC East teams battled in Foxborough today. New England on the wrong side of a shutout this week, losing at home to Buffalo 16-0. The Patriots blanked for the first time since 1993. Not to worry, though, guys. Tom Brady back next week. Oh, poor Patriots. And it really fans. is. You know what? It's such a... Uh, a bittersweet day for the for the Patriots because they lose, they get shut out, they lose to a divisional opponent in the Buffalo Bills, but they're three and one. They won three out of the four games without Tom Brady, and now starting tomorrow, Tom Brady's reinstated back into the league. You better I'm hope sure, Brady's healthy and, and I'm in sure, safe. And I'm sure the and I'm sure the Pats won't lose another game. Well, you know what's funny? They get Tom Brady back. Guess who they play next week? Cleveland. They play Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, I could play quarterback for them and beat Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, it's the way they've been winning some of these games with Jacoby Brissett. You're probably right. Down in Atlanta, the Falcons starting hot just like they did last year. They started 5-0. and Last season, they throttled Carolina today, 48-33. Some astronomical numbers for the Falcons. Julio Jones reeled in 300 yards receiving and a touchdown. Madden numbers for Julio Jones Matt, today, really. Matt Ryan, 500 of his own, taking down the defending NFC champs in Carolina, who are now at 1-3 and three as what well. What is wrong with the Panthers? And do you know what's so weird is usually if you saw a guy, a guy threw for 503 yards, four touchdowns, you would think he threw the ball 50 times, completed 40 passes. Not Only 28 of 37 today for, for Matt Ryan. They were slinging it down the field. Yeah, Julio Jones was close to 20 yards per reception. And one more thing to note about this game. 300 yards on 12 catches. I, I think it's I mean, fifth all time. Yeah, it, it, astronomical stuff. And Cam Newton left this game in the fourth with a concussion. We'll see how that plays out. And you got to wonder, no Josh Norman now for the Panthers. Obviously, if he's there, I don't know if he changes the game that much the way Atlanta was moving the ball. But this Carolina Panthers defense has not been nearly as good as they were last year when they were 15-1, and one, of course. But this is a team that is really struggling. You go back to the Super Bowl, they now have lost, what, five, four of their last five games at, at, at one and three right now? I mean, this is a team that is really struggling to find their identity after it looked like you know they were going to be this team for years to come that was going to be so dominant. But it's the Atlanta Falcons in their own division 
that are three and one after Atlanta could not have worked looked any worse than they did against the Bucks in Week One. They rattled off now three straight wins. Yeah, Carolina's got a couple rookies they're starting now at corner in the secondary. That's something that killed them. And oddly enough, when Derek Anderson came in for Cam. The Panthers' offense looked a little better, so we'll see what Noon can figure out going forward. Yeah, and you know, hopefully, well, we don't know what's with the concussion. He went under the concussion protocol. Would he have to miss next week's game? Is that what is that what would have to happen if he did have a concussion? I don't. I think generally Sunday to Sunday you can still Sunday play. Sunday to Sunday you can still play. He was he was jogging around like normal. They just oh, so didn't concussion have protocol doesn't mean anything when you're a league MVP. You saw what happened week one. He took so many hits he and still stayed in the ridiculous game. Ridiculous hit. This one was really his fault. There was an opening in the end zone. Yeah. He kind of took his time and the guy just laid him out. Um, another team in the AFC West, the Oakland Raiders and Jack Del Rio trying to give their fans a heart attack again this week. They snuck out of Baltimore with a 28-27 win. Derek Carr to Michael Crabtree connection was working. Crabtree reeled in three touchdowns, including the game winner. Two teams there, Oakland and Baltimore, are also at 3-1 now. Crazy that both teams are 3-1, and one, and the Raiders they haven't lost a road game this year. They've been really good on the road, and this is an Oakland team. They were one of those teams that a lot of people were high on as far as a team that can maybe take that next step this year. They have a lot of young talent in place. they got the quarterback in car. Crabtree's been great for them, and hey, give them credit. Off to a 3-1 and one start, and this was a game that they weren't expected to win on the road in Baltimore, and they found a way to get it done. Yeah, they did, and big offseason acquisitions starting to pay off a little bit there. Their defense improving. The Chicago Bears got their first win of the season at home today. They outlasted the Detroit Lions 17-14. Matt Stafford and that Lions offense never finding a rhythm. Two more picks for Stafford One of them was a pick six. Yeah, it was. And Jim Caldwell, Chicago. You see Jim Caldwell after the game? Didn't see him. He was pretty pretty heated talking to the media. There was He got cut off by a reporter. He really let him have it. So frustration really building there in uh, in Detroit. Well, Detroit was supposed to be a team that a lot of people were also high on, and they're 1-3. And and well, I feel like the last couple of years, it's been, oh, Detroit's a good team, Detroit this. Jim Caldwell's not a very and, good and coach. And last season, it wasn't in Detroit. They got off to a, a brutal start last season. And they yeah, came something back, like 0 and six. 0 and yeah. six, yeah. I mean, uh, Jim Caldwell really, after a tough season last year, and now depending on what happens this year, he's coaching for his job. And here's the thing too with Detroit: so many people are high on them, and that's a good point by you, Dan. He's coaching for his job, but Detroit's one of those teams where they have Stafford, they have some of these playmakers in place. Their Golden defense should be a lot no better. Show. That's one. Thing. It's like well, and they lost Calvin Johnson. When are too. they going to put it together? Detroit's a lot like the Jaguars. They sound good on paper, and then you actually watch them play, and you just scratch your head why this team is so bad. Yeah, they've been a team that's been turnover-prone. They've made a lot of mistakes, and they need better play out of Golden Tate, I think. And they have two injuries at running back. So, so many 1-3 teams. I know, Connor, you and I were talking about this in the last commercial break. So many 1-3 football teams in the NFL. really is crazy looking around the league how many teams that were supposed to be really good like the Jets or the Carolina Panthers, for example, later. Arizona. We'll get to them. And, you know, there are a lot of teams that are 1-3. Detroit's one of those teams that you kind of scratch your head and go, how are they 1-3? Yeah, and Denver, not one of those 1-3 and three teams. They moved to 4-0 and oh today. They found a way to win in Tampa. Another weather delay there, compiled with a Trevor Simeon injury. Not enough to hold down that dominant defense. Final score, 27-7 Denver. Guys, fun stat here. No quarterback has thrown for 200 yards against the Denver D this whole season. Impressive. Their D is so good. And they lost some guys, and they've still been able to maintain their elite level of play. And in this game, Craig Paxton Gary, Lynch had to come in for a little bit due to an injury to Simeon. He got carted off. I don't know what his status is, but this is a... 
Denver Broncos team that is has not obviously had a Super Bowl hangover, and the team that's had really a Super Bowl hangover is the team that lost the Super Bowl, and that's the Carolina Panthers. And who would have thought coming into the season with obviously the stable quarterback of Cam Newton in Carolina and the unstable uh, quarterback situation in Denver, because going into the season, we talked about it, Mark Sanchez was the guy going into the season who was going to be their starter. And now Simeon took over, and he's really played tremendous. Yeah, he's, he's done a good job. He's done better than anyone could have expected, Oh, I think. no one and, would have thought. And, this guy's never taken a snap before in the league. Who would have thought that he comes in and, and not only is uh, not just a game manager, but he's making big plays. Yeah, he's excelling. And, and one team at 3-1 and one that really makes you scratch your head, the Los Angeles Rams, not in St. Louis anymore, but they took down the Arizona Cardinals today in Arizona, 17-13. Uh, the Cardinals fall to 1-3. and three. They'll be likely without Carson Palmer as they have a quick turnaround Thursday night against San Francisco. He left late with a concussion. He and that offense really been struggling a little bit going down the stretch. Yeah, absolutely. And now they have a short week. Uh, you got Carson Palmer. You just said he's in concussion protocol. Who's their backup? They play on Drew Thursday. Stanton. Drew Stanton, Stanton comes in, and, and he has some experience before. but oh, A jet not, on paper. Yeah, he's not. He, exactly. Jet, he a jet for about paper. a day, and then they got Tim Tebow, the immortal. <laughs> so this is a this is a tricky situation for Arizona. They're facing you know a, a, a tough task playing on a short week on Thursday. And you have one in three. Their season really hangs hangs in the balance because you that game against the Jets could be you know season saving for either team. Yeah, for both sides. And Arizona's a team that a lot of people talk about as a Super Bowl contender coming into the season. 1-3, and three, not the way you want to start. Guys, stop me if you've heard this one before. A one-possession loss for San Diego today. No, really? Phillip Rivers turnover. <laughs> sealed the deal for them. New Orleans picks up the I win 35-34. I saw a stat on Twitter just before. Uh, San Diego has outscored their opponents this season and are 1-3. and three. Yeah, they are. That's unbelievable. That's almost impossible to do. In four games to outscore your opponent and be two games under 500. That is, I'd almost have to tip your caps to the San Diego Chargers for doing something. So, I mean, it's unbelievable. It's, it's really unbelievable that they could, I mean, how bad is their defense? Or how how bad situationally are they, are they moving the ball? I mean, just in big spots. They're not making big plays. Yeah, and you mentioned that outscoring. I've seen three tweets in a row on my timeline. One about the AFC South. No one in that whole division has scored more points than their opponents. The Chargers, like you mentioned, one and three, having outscored their opponents, and the Rams are three and one. They've been outscored by thirteen points. No, no, so lots of weird stuff going on. It's just it's bizarre. And also, how about the fact that Drew Brees goes back to San Diego? And he picks up a win against his former squad. Yeah, New Orleans needs one because they need they're it. in a funk there. Well, they, they were 0-3, like, right? So they, this was, a, this was a, essentially a must-win if they had won any chance like they, to come back. They might have to turn the page on Sean Payton and Drew Brees. And they just gave soon. Drew Brees a brand-new extension. Yeah, so, they uh, did. They're, they're going all-in with him yeah. for another year. Yeah, so we'll see what they do there. They moved to 1-3 and three in that NFC South. The Dallas Cowboys kept the NFC East undefeated today. They beat San Francisco on the road 24-17 to improve to 3-1. and one. Big game from the Cowboy rookies, Ezekiel Elliott, 138 and a touchdown on the ground. And Dak Prescott still without a turnover through four weeks. 131 pass attempts without an interception, the most by a rookie without an interception to start an NFL career. And this who, guy deserves so much credit. So much. And you know what? For a guy and to come in and play as well as he played for a fourth-round draft pick who was not supposed to be the starter, obviously, they went into the season thinking they would have a healthy Tony Romo. He goes down, Dak Prescott comes in, and honestly, they haven't skipped a beat. Prescott's been unreal. 
kudos to Dak Prescott, who's played better than I think anyone on this earth could have imagined. 23 of, four, of 32 today, 245 and two touchdowns. And Connor, you mentioned the fact that this guy has not turned the football over. The one thing that rookie quarterbacks always do is throw bad interceptions, are very sloppy with the football, need to learn ball security. He's protected the football. Everyone talks about his leadership skills. He's done an excellent job. And then Ezekiel Elliott, he had his best game as a pro today, 23 carries, 138 and a score, as you said, Connor. Cowboys are really good. And it begs the question, I don't want to go there just yet because Tony Romo's still going to be the guy, but hey, if they keep winning, hey, what do you do? Because Dak Prescott's looked pretty good as a rookie, and the question then becomes, and I only ask this because I'm a Jet fan, could Tony Romo be made available in the offseason? You really don't know. The way Dak Prescott's playing, I know we have so much time before that would ever happen, but he's been really good early on. It makes you wonder if they have something long-term at that position. Well, it looks like right now, I mean, with the numbers he's put up, it looks like maybe they're going to have a tough decision to make in the offseason. Yeah, they might. And his numbers really haven't been flashy. Um, this, but, is, this is one of his better games, but in terms but you of know taking what? care of the football. That's the thing. And, and with a rookie quarterback, especially a guy selected in the fourth round, you're not expecting him to come in there and and throw for 400 yards, 350 yards. You do think if you have to put him in a situation to start, he might turn over the ball a little bit and show signs of being a rookie, but to be honest with you, I'm sure the Cowboys are very happy with the fact that Dak Prescott has come in, not turn over the football, and has really been a superb game manager for them. I mean, and when got, Dallas if you're lost week Garrett, one, you gotta love it. Oh, no, and he deserves a lot of credit, but when Dallas lost week one to the Giants, did you think they'd go out and then win three straight? It's pretty impressive for them to find a way to win now three consecutive games. And going to San Francisco is never easy. And then they had a big win over the Redskins. This is a Dallas team that's really been impressive early on. Yeah, they have. And, and look, I think it's going to be a fun NFC East. And, and they're a team. People listen, you got Washington at 3-1, and one, Dallas at 3-1, and one, Giants at 2-1. and one. Eagles are undefeated. Washington saved their season again today, too. They saved it last week against the Giants, and then they beat Cleveland today. A game a lot closer than a lot of people thought, but they once again found a way to get a win. NFC East is so Cleveland competitive. Cleveland is so bad. They're awful. The the, the Browns are so bad. Did we get to that bad. game? Did we talk about the game yet? Maybe I deleted it or something. But well, I mean, the I, score don't, was I don't blame it. Well, they, okay. And Cousins, they got Jordan Reed back on track. He had a couple touchdowns today. His first Two of the season, so not an impressive win by any stretch. But oh, I feel a bad. Win is a win. I, I really feel bad for you, Jackson. He takes that job. I mean, it seems like if you if you are the head coach of the Cleveland Browns, the longest you can possibly last seems to be like three years. And uh, you, Jackson, now at zero and four, he'll probably be fired by the end by next season. You know, I mean, they're just dysfunctional. They're, they're man. so dysfunctional in the front from the front office to the coaching staff to the personnel on the field. The Cleveland Browns are a mess, and they have been for since they've been they've, they've come back in as a as an expansion They've team. had one really good year, and they didn't even make the playoffs in that year. That was 07 when they won 10 games with, what, Derek Anderson was the quarterback then? Yeah, it was Derek Anderson, and, and the Browns are just are just brutal. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Who would have thought that Terrell Pryor would be a number one wide receiver in the league in 2016? Exactly. Give him credit, though. He's been probably their only bright spot this season. See, I think I think Cody Kessler's been okay. He's been, he hasn't been terrible, well, you know what? but the team is so okay. bad. They came in and thinking they have RG3. I thought Josh Gordon would be coming thought back Josh this Gordon week. would be coming back. They had a, There was a reason to be somewhat optimistic coming in as a Cleveland Browns fan. Uh, not overly optimistic, but have a little bit of optimism. But then, of course, in typical Cleveland Browns fashion, week one they lose... Uh, they lose RG3. He's done for the year. And now, you know, they're left playing the, the backup quarterback for the rest of the year, whether it's Kessler or McCown when he comes back. And one team they're trying to chase in their division, the Pittsburgh Steelers, they're taking on Kansas City as we speak. Quite a one-sided game right now on Sunday Night Football. Steelers bouncing back in a big way after a blowout loss to the Eagles last week. They lead the Chiefs 43-7. to Big Ben, Antonio Brown and company playing a video game out there. Ugh. Franchise record, 22 points is, in the first that's quarter. That's the Jets next And week, this man. is the same Chiefs defense that intercepted 
uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick six times yeah, last week. Yeah, it just shows you how bad the Jets were last week and how much better Pittsburgh is than the Chiefs. And guess what happens? The Jets, we talked about it earlier, Jets in Pittsburgh next week in a game they have to win. Not feeling good about it at all as a Jet fan. Why would you? You can't. Can't feel good about playing Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh next week with the with the way they just manhandled the Kansas City Chiefs, who manhandled the Jets a year a uh, week ago. Can't feel good. Connor, if you're good stuff, man. Thanks for joining us. As yeah, always. glad to be here, guys. Thanks for coming on, Connor. You are listening to Jake Asman and Dan Budick right here on the Asman and Budick Show. Follow the show on Twitter with the handle at Asman Budick Show. We're back. Asman Budick Show. Jake Asman alongside Dan Budick taking you until midnight. Thanks to Jake Chernock, our producer, spending some time to call us, talk about what he saw down at MetLife Stadium and then the Ryder Cup. Dan and I, we're not both big golf fans, but we know a lot of people listening might be, so we wanted to at least touch on the Ryder Cup. Big job, big time performance by the United States for winning their first Ryder Cup since 2008. But Dan, we got to get into the Mets. They did it. They found a way. We said, we said a week ago we'd probably be having the conversation about the playoffs, and we were absolutely right. We knew their schedule down the stretch. We said they had to go 4-2 and two down the stretch, and I think that's exactly what they that's did. exactly what they did. So the Mets took care of business. They did what they had to do, and they are now the number one seed for the wild card. I know this feeling very well because the Yankees were in the same spot a year ago. Hopefully, for your sake as a Mets fan, they don't get shut out 3 nothing. But you look at this Mets team. They found a way to get in. No matter what happens, I think you could define this season as a successful one. I agree. And that's first and foremost. I agree with you. I think this is a very successful season for the Mets uh, as far as a franchise is concerned. I mean, they made the playoffs again. They did something that has only been done once in their franchise history. The Mets have only had three managers in the history of the franchise take the team to the playoffs twice. Uh, Howard Johnson, uh, excuse me, Davey Johnson did it in 86 and 88. Uh Bobby Valentine did it in 99-2000. Now Terry Collins did it in 15-16. And you know what? I I think based on what the Mets had to go through this season, the injuries they had, I mean, if you told me uh, at the beginning of the season the Mets would lose Harvey, DeGrom, Matt, they wouldn't get Wheeler back, they'd lose Wright and Duda for an extended period of time, I probably would have told you they wouldn't 70 games, quite frankly. Pretty crazy stat. In 2015, Harvey, DeGrom, Cologne, Matt, and Syndergaard combined to go 54-36 with a 2.98 ERA. In 2016, Cologne, Syndergaard, Mats, DeGrom, Lugo, and Giselman, 54-37 and 37 with a 2.93 ERA. So the guys that the Mets brought up to replace all the injured guys, they pitched phenomenally. And here they are in a one-game spot. You never know what can happen. And we'll get to that matchup in just a second, but Terry Collins deserves a ton of credit. This team was dead in August. They were 16-62 on August 20th. They were five and a half games behind the Cardinals, and, that's the crazy and they found thing. a way to get in. And that's the crazy thing here is you look at it, and um, and not only did they get in, is they were able to secure the top spot to make sure this game on Wednesday is going to be at City Field. I give them a tremendous amount of credit. But if you look at this Mets team, I mean, this is a Mets team that played really, really bad. Not poorly, not average. They played awful from the beginning of June until the middle of August. That's two and a half months. And somehow they this woke up. This team was awful. Cespedes got healthy, and they were able to go on this run. And what they were able to do, too, by playing so well down the stretch, they didn't have to use Noah Syndergaard in the last game Which of the regular season to get a playoff spot. They had it all locked up the day before, and Noah Syndergaard's going to be ready to pitch Wednesday night against Madison Bumgarner and the Giants. And listen, the Giants have played horrible down the stretch. There's question marks with their bullpen. But I'll tell you what, it's an even year for one. That's true. And you know what that means if you're a Giants fan. 
And the second thing is, it's a one-game playoff. Anything, Anything can, happen. can happen. And they have one of the best postseason pitchers of all time going up on Wednesday. So it should be a phenomenal matchup. I'm excited to watch that game. And that's why it's like if the Mets lose, you know what? They probably shouldn't have been here in the first place. They found a way to get in, and that's all that really matters when you look at this team. And all the injuries they had then that, that they had to eventually, and they did, overcome. Yeah, they had to overcome a lot. And you're right. They're going against Madison Bumgarner. It's going to be a tough task. One thing they do have is the game is at home. They'll have the Mets fans behind them. They'll have the seven-line army on center field. City Field will be loud like it was in the playoffs last year. And you know what? The Giants really uh, limp their way into the playoffs here. And, and that's one thing I think uh, is the difference between the Mets and the Giants. I think the Giants are coming in. You know, they're happy they made the playoffs, but they really just had such a brutal second half of the season here. We're well, finishing, I think, 16, 15 games under 500 in the second half. It was really awful. The Mets, on the other hand, you know, played 600 baseball the last seven weeks of the season and, and really deserved to be here with the way they played. The Giants, you know, just kind of got, got had such a bad second half. They kind of almost backed their way into that second wild card spot. Uh, so, uh, you know, and one of the a brutal second half for the Giants. And, it you know, it's one of those things. The teams are going to meet on Wednesday in a one-game playoff. And you're right. Anything can happen. But we have a phone call on the line, a, phone, a caller on the line. Chucky from Buffalo. He wants to talk about the NL wild card game. Chucky, what's going on? Hey, guys. Big fan of your work on and off the mic. I just wanted to uh, let you guys know that. Chucky, you with us? Do we lose Chucky right after you complimented Chuck? us? Yes, I am. Oh, Chucky, you hear us? Yes, I can. No, oh, we, we lost, lost, you, we for lost a second. you a second. We got you back, though, Chucky. Thanks for calling. All right, yeah, so I'd just like to let you guys know that I'm a big fan of your work on and off the mic, first of all. Thank you, Chucky. And second of all, yeah, I just wanted to get your guys' opinion on what you guys what you guys really think are going to be the X factors in the game outside of the two obvious starting pitchers. It sounds so cliche, and actually you just answered it right there. It's outside of the starting pitchers. That would, of course, be the X factor. It's baseball. But I'm curious. I want to see, can this Mets lineup produce like they were down the stretch against an elite pitcher? Cespedes, can he, does he have a big moment in him? He's so good in the clutch. In a one-game playoff, the entire game is a clutch. The first inning to the ninth inning, all equally important. Guys got to make sure that they fundamentally are sound, the Mets can't beat themselves defensively. They can't beat themselves in the bullpen. If it gets to a point, the guys that have got them there have to pitch well. There's so many factors in a one-game playoff, and honestly, it's such a toss-up. It really is. You look at this Mets team, and you look at this Giants team. I know the Giants have struggled down the stretch, but they have the, the postseason experience. That's the so do the Mets, to an extent, going to the World Series last year. These two teams on paper in a one-game playoff, flip a coin. I have no idea who's going to win. Yeah, I think, uh, Chucky, it's 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 going to be a good game. I think you have two teams that um, are very similar in some cases uh, in certain aspects of their game. And, you know, the Giants are a team that, even though they've struggled mightily in the second half, you know, they do get the uh, opportunity to send Madison Bumgarner in a must-win, basically a Game 7, uh, against Noah Syndergaard on the road. So you got to like your chances uh, if you're both teams. Yeah, I think uh, you guys also know what happened last time. Madison Bumgarner pitched in a Game 7 in the playoffs. Yeah, he did pretty good. Didn't he, he did pretty well, I think. Yeah, I think, I think it'll be a good game nonetheless. Yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be a good game, Chucky, and, and thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Um, and, you know, the National League wild card game, I think it sets itself out to be a great game. And, you know, as far as the San Francisco Giants are concerned, you know, they're going to come into a hostile environment. But you're right, Jake. They they have the experience in the playoffs, not last season, but, you know, in the seasons prior, winning three, even year, it's winning three World Series. <laughs> and, yeah, even year. 
But I will say this is the Mets do have the advantage of the home field crowd, and they do get the opportunity to throw their best guy out there, which is good. You know, they didn't have to pitch Noah Syndergaard today, thankfully, and they have the opportunity to have him pitch on rest, ready to go in a Game 7 opportunity, you know, one-game playoff, whatever you want to call it, uh, on Wednesday night at City Field. Well, and you look at where the Mets are right now in this wild-card spot, and I think the biggest thing out of everything is what we opened with. It's a successful season. Now it's house money. Because even if they do win, they're going to play the Cubs. No, And, and, and they're probably yeah. not going to beat the Cubs. Anything can happen, I understand. But the Cubs are the best team in baseball for good reason. And they have the best pitching in baseball. Arguably, well, one yeah, of the best I, I pitching think, rotations in baseball. I, yeah, and I think this is a game the Mets have a chance to win. I mean, they're playing a Giants team. I think they could beat. They beat the Giants. They took two out of three from them in May at City Field, and the Mets limped into San Francisco. Uh, if we remember back in the end of August, limped into San Francisco and was able to get a split, and that's really when their season turned around. They they lost the first two at in San Francisco, and if you remember, they did rough up Madison Bumgarner in one of those games. They did lose it, but they did put together five runs against uh, Bumgarner, and then they won the next two games of that series and took off from there uh, with, the, with the best six weeks in baseball record-wise and secured themselves a wild-card berth atop the National League. That's the kind of performance they need. They built off that those two games against the Giants. And listen, at home, at City Field, the Mets have just as good an opportunity as anyone to get this win. But I agree with you. I think it's a very evenly matched game. Both teams are throwing their best guns out there. Syndergaard for the Mets and Bumgarner for the Giants. It sets up for a great one-game playoff. It's going to be exciting. And now let's touch on the AL wild card because you have Baltimore and Toronto, two American League East teams that were able to hold off Seattle, Detroit, the Yankees to an extent, Houston. In so many teams that were competing for that final wild card spot, those two final wild card spots, and it was the two teams in the AL East, Baltimore and Toronto, that found a way to get it done. And you look at the AL East for a, for a second: the Red Sox won the division, Baltimore and Toronto, the two wild cards, and the Yankees, who had no business even being in a playoff race, finished with 84 wins. That's the only division where there were four teams all above 500. And that's you know that's just a telling fact, and we kind of said it all year. That was clearly the best division in baseball last year. It was the National League Central. This year it was the American. In League East, and you look at Baltimore and Toronto. They both finished 89 and 73, four games behind the Red Sox, who won the division at 93 and 69. Both those teams, all three of those teams, are, are bona fide playoff teams and have a chance to make an impact in October. So I'm looking forward to that one game playoff. Also, Baltimore versus Toronto. The pitching starters have not been announced yet. You got to figure that. It will be announced in the next day or so. That will take place on Tuesday. Who are you liking that one? It's such a toss-up. I have no idea. Uh, really I can see Toronto at home finding a way to get it done, though. Yeah, I, man. But it, I'll tell you what. If Baltimore is up, they're both playing with Zach Britton at the end of it. They're that, so good. That's the thing. Once you get to the eighth, ninth inning with the way Baltimore's pitched to the back end of their bullpen, they're a tough team to beat. Uh, it's really it's tough. It, I think both games are really tough to throw a prediction out there. It's really tough to throw a prediction for a one-game playoff. It's a lot easier to throw a prediction for a f- series of best of five or a best of seven. But when you talk about a one-game playoff, I mean anything can happen. You know, so many things can happen. I mean, good teams. You know, good teams. You know, lose three games in a seven-game series. So anything can happen in a one-game series. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You really just you really just don't know. And then, you don't know. And you look at the American but League you, division. But I, I will say you gotta love the one-game play. It's great. I, I think it's great. I'll tell you what, it's great when you're not a fan of one of the teams in the game. But you're gonna I, be stressed out on Wednesday. No, I, I, of course. But I, I even I, even so, like I think it's great. I think it's great that you know that there's an incentive to winning the division. Well, that's the key. That was the reason why they did it. They and they also wanted to get more teams involved. I mean, you made this point off the air. It's a great one. 
round. The San Francisco Giants, we're talking about one of the all-time collapses. Really? If they don't have that second wild-card spot available to them. That's yeah, how crazy it, it was it, down the stretch. No, and that's how crazy it really was down the stretch. I mean, let's talk about the San Francisco Giants here. They were a team at the All-Star break that was not just in first place by six and a half games in their division over the Los Angeles Dodgers. They were two games better than the Chicago Cubs, who secured their 103rd win today and finished the season at 103-58. and The Giants were two games better than them at the All-Star break, and the Giants were the second wild-card spot. The Giants really have no business being in the playoffs. No, you're absolutely right. It really is crazy that they found a way to get it after how poorly they played, and after they got off to such a great start, the fact that if you would have told me at the All-Star break the Giants would struggle to make the playoffs, I would have thought you were crazy with how well they played. And Yeah, and not only that, if you look at the divisional and the way the division uh, landed out, they lost the division by... Let me take a look as I throw it up. But they ended up losing the division by how many games? Four, four games. games. They lost the division by four games. They had a six-and-a-half game lead. It's a ten-game swing. At the All-Star break. It's a ten-game swing. That is a brutal brand of baseball that the San Francisco Giants have been playing since the All-Star break. And they really gave that division up, and they put themselves in a position, unfortunately for them, where they have to go into City Field. They have to go into City Field. I understand they have Blumgarner going, but they have to win a one-game playoff. Let's talk about the ALDS now. We can't talk about one of the matchups because we don't know who Texas is going to play. They'll play the winner of that wildcard matchup we just spoke about between Toronto and Baltimore. Really quick, though. Boston and Cleveland, good ALDS matchup. You got Terry Francona going up against his former squad. I like that from the manager standpoint, that storyline. Boston did not finish with the best record, so that game will be in Cleveland. Cleveland is a very interesting team. I'm very curious how that's going to shape out. But you got two good teams in Boston and Cleveland. And, of course, the Red Sox come in as hot as any team in the playoffs. And this is a team that a lot of people think could be the team that represents the American League in the World Series this year. And I'll tell you what, they have some issues in the bullpen. They have some issues in the starting rotation. But their lineup is so freaking good. I mean, they, they throw out a really potent offensive lineup that can just about take care of any pitcher in baseball. And that scares me if you're going against the Boston Red Sox. And for Cleveland, you know, they already a little banged up in their rotation. You know, be prepared because the Boston Red Sox come swinging and they are one of the better offensive teams we have seen in the last four or five years. No doubt about it. And get to the NLDS series now. You have the Dodgers and the Washington Nationals. I'm really intrigued by this series because I think both teams are so evenly matched. I'm curious to see how Kershaw does in the playoffs once again. He had that one really good start against the Mets last year to kind of silence some of the critics at him, but overall, his numbers in well, the postseason... Beat him in game five. Yeah, they've been less than stellar overall. So you look at Clayton Kershaw and where they are right now. Can the Washington Nationals, though, with the injuries they're dealing with, will they get Daniel Murphy back in time? Will they get um, Bryce Harper in that lineup ready to go? Are those guys going to be ready to go and play at an effective level for a Nationals team that is really, especially Daniel Murphy, he might be the MVP of the league in the NL, really relied on all season long. And you know what's so ironic with the Washington Nationals is this season, you know, unlike the Mets, they have avoided injury. Outside of Steven Strasburg, who has obviously had his injury concerns all of his career and this season included, outside of that, their lineup stayed relatively healthy. You know, the, the Murphy didn't have his DL stint that he usually has. You know, and Rendon didn't get hurt. It wasn't until the last week of the season when they were really playing for nothing did they lose Wilson Ramos, who was having an all-star catcher this season nationally, hitting over 300, was arguably the second-best offensive player in their lineup to a torn ACL. They lose Daniel Murphy with a strained rear end, uh, I will put it, a strained rear end, and Bryce Harper with the thumb. You know, those are three injuries that could greatly impact 
how far the Washington Nationals go. I mean, Daniel Murphy might not come back till Game 2 or Game 3 of the Divisional Series. That's a huge loss. It would be huge if they don't have him out there. And let's get to the Cubs, though, because when you look at the National League, it starts with the Cubs. Are, is this the year for the Cubs to finally, I don't want to say win the World Series, but can they at least get to the World Series this year? Is this the year they will punch it through? Because let's be honest here. I know they haven't won in a World Series since 1908. They haven't even been to a World Series since 1943. Yeah, well, I, you look at their their season. I mean, they're clearly the best team in baseball, finishing the year at 103 and, and 58. I mean, just to put it in perspective, they won the division by 17 and a half games. Incredible. Incredible. The St. Louis Cardinals were a distance, a, a way distant second at 86 and 76. I mean, they missed the playoffs too, but that's 17 and a half games back. That's how good the Chicago Cubs were this year. And I think if there's a year they're going to do it. If there is a year they they're going to do it, and the Cubs fans are finally going to see a world title, I think it's going to be this year. But who knows? The Cubs are cursed. You never know with them. You really I, I'm don't. I'm just saying that you never know. I mean, I mean, the could you w- imagine your Mets beat them in the first round of the playoffs? I, I, that would be first of all. I think more one of the greater upsets. One we've of the ever greater had. upsets. Uh, that the Mets have ever had. I mean, that would go down as one of the best upsets the Mets have had. The Mets have had a lot of big upsets in their history in the playoffs. I mean, 1969, defeating the Baltimore Orioles in five games. The Mets have had a lot of uh, big postseason moments where they've been the underdog, last season included. And all of a sudden, you know, if they were to go into Chicago and, and beat the Chicago Cubs in the playoffs, I think not only would it be great for the Mets, it would be one of the most disappointing losses, I think, in a series the Cubs have ever had. And they've had a lot of them. So, um... For the Cubs not even to get to a National League Championship Series this year, I think it would be incredibly disappointing. But I think it would be disappointing if they don't get to the World Series this year. I mean, they are clearly the best team in the National League and should be representing the National League in the World Series. Now, could you imagine if we get Red Sox-Cubs, the ratings for baseball... That would be absurd. Well, that's what that's what that's what Rob Manfred wants. That's what Rob Manfred put a gun to his head and you said, "What do you want?" He would tell you that. Oh, uh, and that's what Rob Manfred wants is, is to be able to have the Cubs going against the Red Sox in the World Series. Will it happen that way? I mean, usually doesn't. Usually but we'll doesn't. Say. I think it's more likely that the Cubs get to the World Series than the Red Sox. So if I had to pick a team, I just think the Cubs are that much better, and their route to the World Series because of their pitching, I believe, might be easier in the National League than it is in the American League. Well, I, I, the way I look at it like this is, I think they cakewalk their way through the divisional series if they're playing the Mets or the Giants. I can't see the Mets or the Giants beating them. I really just can't. And then you look at the division, the, the championship series. They play either Washington or L.A. They're both good teams. The Cubs are just so much the better. The Cubs are just so much better. And I don't want to take anything away from the Nationals or the Dodgers. They're both very good teams. Both teams have had great seasons. The Dodgers have, have had an incredible second half. But the Dave Cubs, Roberts deserves a lot of Dave credit. Ro- Dave Roberts deserves a lot of credit. But the bottom line is, the Chicago Cubs are hands down. I mean, they won 64% of their games this year. I mean, they were really a good baseball, a really solid baseball team from their rotation to their bullpen, adding Chapman uh, at the deadline. They're ready to win a World Series. And the question is, is will they do it or will the curse of the Billy Goat haunt them again? Final, Final thoughts here. We have about seven minutes left in the program. I wanted to touch on the Yankees. We also wanted to touch on Vin Scully signing off for the last time today. A lot of lasts today in baseball. Ryan Howard gone to Chair of the Yankees. We'll talk about him Matt right now. Holiday, possibly his final game, was definitely his final game in St. Louis, but who knows if he comes back and plays again. No idea. And so we'll start with the Yankees, though, Dan, because they actually finished the season today, of course, last game of the regular season. The Yankees finished the year with 84 wins. And this is a team that, for the 24th straight year, 
has now had a winning season. Didn't look like it was going to happen this year at the deadline when they traded Beltron and they traded Chapman. They traded Andrew Miller, got rid of Ivan Nova, told A-Rod to leave, and they released him and are still paying him for the next year, $27 million. But this is the Yankees team. Hats off to Joe Girardi. Hats off to Brian Cashman. Yankees did a really good job piecing this together. 84 wins is something to really be proud of when you look on, when you look at the young quarter that's now in place. Greg Bird coming back next year. You learned what you have in Gary Sanchez. Overall, you could really make a case, and I will make this case right now. The Yankees had a more successful year in 2016 not making the playoffs than they did last year when they were one and done in the wild card game. Oh, hands down. And I think just because there's a there's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel here with some of the young players the Yankees have coming up and that we got to see the last, you know, six, seven, eight weeks of the season, whatever it was, eighty four wins is very respectable. And this is a Yankee team that, you know, people were saying might win seventy five, seventy six games with the way things started. So I think the Yankees deserve a lot of credit. Joe Girardi's an excellent manager and Brian Cashman, you know, made the decision and, and rightfully so and owner ship was behind him to sell the pieces at the deadline, to go all in, to bring young talent back to this organization, and to bring the Yankees back to where they should be. They're a couple years away. They're going to be a good. They're going to be a competitive team next season. But to bring the Yankees back in the next couple of seasons to a serious World Series contender, we've seen the Boston Red Sox now do it twice, where they finished last in the division and then were in the World Series the following year. They did it this year, where they were last last year in the division and they were first place in their own division this year, last to first. Not saying the Yankees are going to win the division next year, but my point is that when you're the Yankees, you have all this spending money. You have contracts coming off the books, including Mark Teixeira, who we will get to in just a second, and you have this young core now in place and money to spend and a farm system now to wheel and deal depending on how Brian Cashman decides to manage this offseason there is definitely a scenario where the Yankees are competing for a division next year and of course they're competing for a wild card spot at the minimum next year 84 wins is very impressive when you consider they had a lot of injuries they traded away some of their best pieces and they still finished only five games behind the two teams that won the wild card and I think you know that it's a little skewed just because of the impact I think and how well Gary Sanchez played really carried them the last seven weeks of the season. Obviously, I don't think going into next season he's going to continue on that type of tear just because it's impossible. But I think he's proved he's going to be no, a pretty good absolutely. player. A very good player. Oh, absolutely. And, and and that all aside, but the Yankees have a lot of work to do. I think they need to add two starting pitchers. I, they have to. they got to add two starting pitchers, and they have to once again solidify the back end of the bullpen. Dylan Batantis, we thought, would come in and be that closer. He struggled. He really did struggle the last month of the season. So the Yankees have a lot of uh, questions that need to be answered. And part of that could be usage, but the bottom line is with this team, you're absolutely right. Need to add some starters, and I really think, I said this last week, in the show. I think they're going to re-sign Aroldis Chapman to be to be determined if they actually will, but I do agree with you. I do think Batances' best role is that 7th, 8th inning kind of guy. Get a bona fide closer. You could save Batances' innings. Do you innings. think he's just not built to be a closer? Because I, I, I thought I really thought when they traded Chapman, he would come in and be a great closer. You know, he started off really good. I don't want to say that he can't be a closer. I think really what the problem with Batances has been is the fact that, hey, he threw a lot of innings the past three years. He's thrown more innings at it from from a relief pitcher standpoint than any pitcher in baseball out of the bullpen the last three years. And for a young pitcher, that's a he, lot. He's, he's a young guy still. People forget Dylan Batanzas only, what, 27, 28 years old. So he's still a young guy, still in the prime of his career. 
if they make the right moves and get another back-end uh, reliever type of pitcher, another closer, they'll be in pretty good shape. And real quick on Mark Teixeira, he signed off today for the last time, or Vince Scully signed off, I should say, but Teixeira retired. The Yankees did a nice job holding a retirement ceremony really for him. Really a very good Yankee. Really good player, a very good Yankee. I'll forever be grateful for the year he had in 2009, helped the Yankees win a World Series, came in second in MVP voting. I mean, you can really make a case, and it's the same with Ryan Howard, who we'll touch on right now as well. The defensive shifts really ruined the careers of Mark Teixeira and Ryan Howard. Teixeira went from being a 290 hitter to barely scratching 240 the last couple of years with the Yankees. No, absolutely. And I think both the careers of Ryan Howard and, and Mark Teixeira are very similar. Very, very good first baseman. Not quite Hall of Famers. And their bodies couldn't take it And their bodies while. just couldn't withstand the injuries they had. Uh Uh, Ryan Howard, not the same player he was after that 2011 Achilles injury. He just never uh, was able to come back from it. And getting to watch him a lot this year, just playing the Mets, he just can't he can't move anymore. And it's tough to see because he was such a great athlete and such a great offensive weapon in the middle of that Phillies lineup for years. And um, I just think it's time. Sometimes it's time to move on. And, like, you know, he hit 199 this year. He has some pop, but, you know, can't really play the field anymore. I think, he, you know, he hasn't announced he's going to retire. But I don't see a situation where Ryan Howard plays in another in another uniform next No, you're year. absolutely right. I think he's done as well. To share, they're both 36 years old, I'm pretty sure. And they're both but calling they're it quits. But they're 36. Well, they've had a lot they, of injuries. A lot of wear and tear on those bodies. You're right. And real quick, we got under a minute left. Vince Scully signed off today. We spoke to Bob Costas about him last week on the show. And Vince Scully's a guy that is kind of just someone that you will forever associate the sport of baseball with. The game will miss him. His impact will never be uh, forgotten. The memories that he brought to the sport, his most memorable calls, only tell half the story. He was beloved by his peers, beloved by his fans. And think about it. He became the Dodgers announcer in 1950. 67 years later, unbelievable. he's signing off. An pretty un- pretty un- remarkable. An unbelievable run uh, by a legendary broadcaster. And uh, he will definitely be missed not only by Dodgers fans out in Los Angeles, but by the baseball world. No question about it. But, Dan, great show. Disappointing loss for the Jets. Ugh. Said it last week. Probably We're say it a couple loss. more times. Just Probably say it a week one. from now. But it was a lot of fun. Thanks to our guys. Ben Beatty doing a great job board hopping. Jason Hannigan doing a great job screening the phone calls out on social media. Connor Weingarten producing. And, of course, he came on for the Around the NFL. NFL segment. Thank you to all the callers tonight. Thank you to all the listeners. We do appreciate it. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Jake Asman, at Dan Budick, and follow the show at Asman Budick Show. But we are unfortunately out of time. And up next, we have some more great music right here on VIC Radio. Thanks again, everybody. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Asman and Budick Show. To keep up with the guys, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter with the handle at Asman Budick Show.